All right, and good morning, Ridgepoint Church. How are you doing this morning? Good, man, we're glad you're here. In fact, I'm so glad you're here. I want you to do this for me. We do this on a regular basis. Turn to the person next to you, give them the fist bump, and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Man, fist bump, high five, whatever you want to do, but we're glad you're here as we're on week two of this series. We're talking about this idea of, of Jesus and we, and, and here's the thing I've just discovered. I've mentioned this quite often, but I'm, I'm kind of a people watcher, and I love to watch how people relate to each other and, and how they talk to each other and, and just kind of observe our personalities all together. And, and here's the thing that I've discovered is, is that in our culture today, a lot of us tend to be stubborn. Now, I would ask you to raise your hand if you think that you're stubborn, but some of you are so stubborn, you, you would fight against even doing that. You're like, this guy's not telling me what to do. Um, but, but, but here's the thing. Most of us tend to be stubborn, and it isn't something that just kind of originated with us as we got later into adult years and, and whatnot, but even when we were children, we tended to be stubborn. Because if you grew up in, in my area, era, at least, uh, we actually played hide-and-go-seek outside in the neighborhood. I know today, like, kids are afraid to go out in the neighborhood or something. But back then, we were out in the neighborhood, and all the neighborhood kids got together, and we played a massive game of hide-and-go-seek. And we knew there were some neighbor's yards you were allowed to go into and other neighbor's yards that if you went into, you might get shot. So you stayed away from those neighbors. But, but for the most part, like, we lived in neighborhoods where people did that. Kids got outside, and they played. And most neighbors were okay with the hiding in their bushes or whatever. And we play this massive game of hide-and-go-seek, and there was always that one kid who could find the best hiding spots. And so what happened is if you were the one who was in charge of being the, the seeker, everyone else would go hide, and, and you'd spend five or ten minutes, and you'd find a couple of people uh, during the game, and eventually you'd be like, all right, I can't find you, I give up, uh, go ahead and come out, game's over. And some people would come out, but there was always that one kid and he was, he was a little bit stubborn, but he's also kind of proud of his spot. And so he knew that if, if I come out, first of all, they might be tricking me, and the game might not really be over, so I don't want to come out. But I also don't want to give up my, my super special hiding spot. No one else is going to be able to find this, and I'll use this a, a, again. And so his stubbornness stopped him from even coming out. I'm convinced somewhere right now there's a 39-year-old guy who's really hungry, but he's not giving up his special hiding spot. And, and, and so there's this, this stubbornness about us uh, that when it comes to our lives, when it comes to our relationships, when it comes even to our spiritual growth, there's a stubbornness. And we have to be careful because there's kind of two sides to a coin where the same personality that has a tendency to be stubborn, which we view as a negative attribute, on the positive side tends to be tenacious. And tenacity is a good thing, and so we have to be careful because there's part of that that can be really healthy, but there's also part of that very same personality that can get us into trouble. Well, last week we kicked off this series here at Ridgepoint Church. We're calling Jesus and We, and it's a series as we get ready to launch out in the fall, which was for us is a prime time uh, for us really to be about the mission that we have as Ridgepoint Church. We're kicking off this series talking about some things that are really important and vital to the overall vision of what makes RPC what it is. Not just what we do, but why we do the things that we do. And so last week we cast the vision, or we, we recast the vision for those who've been here before, explaining here's, what, here's why we do what we do, here's, here's what our overall vision is about. And we said this, RPC exists to lead all people in a growing relationship with, with Jesus by being a church, unchurched people love to attend. Uh, now, that wasn't original with us. It's something that we've had for, for quite some time. 
Uh, but we said every year as we kind of recast that vision, we want to talk about that on a frequent basis. And we said we want to make sure as we talk about that vision that we're focusing on both sides of it. That we exist to lead all people in a relationship with Jesus by being a church unchurched people love to attend. Now last week we focused on sharing our stories we talked about this idea of story and that, that everybody, everybody loves a good story and everyone especially loves a story of redemption. And if everyone loves those redemptive stories, well, then they're going to love your story. In fact, the power of the early followers of Jesus was not that they were religious or leader, that they knew a lot of stuff, because they didn't. All they had was their story, but their story was compelling, and because of that, they reached thousands of people. And so we said last week that if the church is doing what it's supposed to do, that the church's primary focus is not those inside the doors of the church, but those who are outside the door, that we exist to help people grow. We'll talk about that today. But last week, we kicked off this series by talking about the, the, the latter part of that, about the idea that we exist to be a church unchurched people love to attend, or in our culture today, more predominantly, to be a church that de-churched people love to attend. And at the very end, we talk about the overall vision of what makes Ridge Point Church what it is, but then at the very end, we made this, the, the, kind of these, these four ideas, four vision paths that we have for this coming school year, four things that we want to focus on as it comes to this year. In the midst of that, we said one of our big ideas this year is going to be this idea that you're going to see up on the screen, this idea that we always bring our best and what we mean by we always bring our best, and you're going to hear this over and over. In fact, I asked you to repeat this with me last week. I'm going to ask us to do that again. If you would, just repeat with me. We always bring our best. Ready? We always bring our best. And that means that in every facet of what we do, whether it's the band up on stage, whether it's the people in the booth, guest services, children's worker, youth worker, family groups, whatever that looks like, that in every facet of what we do, that we're saying we want to make sure that when it comes to our service, that we're bringing our very best in every area of service. And I mentioned a bunch of people last week that as they come in, they're broken and they're looking for a friendly face, whether it's in the children's area, the youth area, or in, in the adult area, that there are people that are looking, saying, man, I'm broken right now, and I just need a friend. In this world that is getting more and more isolated and alone, people are just looking for a way to connect. And we can't afford to have a bad week. Because for someone, this might be the only time to enter the doors of the church at all, period. And they're saying, right now, this is our one chance. And I know that we have lives, and our lives are, are hectic. And sometimes we do have down days ourselves. But that when we come in together as a church, we want to make sure we always bring our best. And so last week, we focused on the, the latter part of that. Next week, we're going to kind of wrap this series up by what Chris talked about, MVP Sunday. It's going to have a whole different look to the auditorium. We're going to give you a chance to say, yes, I want to sign up to be on, on a team. And, and maybe that means you've been serving in some area and you're kind of recommitting to that area. Maybe you're saying, I've never known what it means to volunteer in that area before. We're going to have leaders from every one of those areas Areas you might not even be familiar with. Maybe some of you right now are saying, I love like design stuff. And, and we have a team of people that does set design that they always need help. And so even if you're sitting here saying, I don't know how I would fit into that role of, of being in ministry in church, there's something for you. And so we want you next week, especially invite your friends out. It's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a celebration. But we wrap up the series with that. But today we're kind of in the middle of the series. We're going we're to talk about this idea of what is the one thing 
in our lives that most helps us grow? And, and also on the flip side of that, what is the one thing that sometimes in our life we allow it to creep in, like that idea of stubbornness that can deter us from our growth? Because I think most of us, I saw a study that was released just yesterday that said most Americans believe in some sort of, of God, that most Americans still say, yes, I believe in God, even though a majority now are not going to church. And if they believe in God, they're saying, I, I want to I be able to grow. I want to be able to take next steps. I don't always know what those next steps are. And the reason most of us don't grow often has some sort of uh, relationship back to our stubbornness. Stubbornness stalls spiritual progression. I want us to see that stubbornness stalls spiritual progression. If you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read the first five verses of that. If not, the word's going to appear up on the screen in just a second. But here Paul's writing a, a simple letter to the church of, of Galatia, and he's challenging them in some specific areas to their church. But right in the middle of that, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. He says, listen, if someone's struggling, then the people who are spiritual, and we're going to redefine what that looks like in a little bit, but people who are spiritual uh, should come and, and restore them in a spirit of gentleness, being careful that in the midst of that you're not allowing pride and stuff to get into your own life. And then he says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He says, listen, as you're in this, now again, he's writing to an early church. Like they're, they're in the formative stages of what church is. They're not as, as developed as we have 2,000 years of church context now. For them, all of this was new. They're figuring out how to live in community at all. And so he says, he says as you're living in that community together, that I want you to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Then he says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But in verse 4, there, there's a little bit of a transition that takes place. Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And then verse 5 happens. It says, for each will have to bear his own load. We're going to get to the juxtaposition of two verses in just a second. But he says, each one will bear his, his own load. And I think that the reason why some of us struggle, a lot of us struggle with this idea of stubbornness, and why our stubbornness stifles and, and stops our spiritual progression is because we, we, we get the way life is supposed to work out. We get two things flip-flopped. Uh, for instance, I think especially in our culture today, I've seen this more in the last five years than I've ever seen it before. But we're supposed to at some point bear responsibility. When we make a mistake, we're supposed to own that mistake. But what I'm seeing over and over in culture today is that uh, we, we have a tendency to abdicate responsibility when it comes to our mistakes. But then when it comes to our growth, we try to do it all ourselves. I want you to see, because we're going to flip-flop these two ideas. When it comes to owning our mistakes, we have a tendency in our culture today to say, I know that I made a mistake, but it's not really my fault. Because we live in this society where everyone wants to be a victim. And so because of that, when it comes to us taking responsibility for the mistakes that we've made, we say, well, that wasn't really my fault. It was the way that I was raised, or it was somebody else did this first, and, and I was just reacting. Or, 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 and we have a tendency in life just to abdicate responsibility for our mistakes 
and not own our mistakes. But then on the flip side, when I say, but I want to get better, and this is where we tend to be really, really stubborn, is that on, 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 the, on the first side, when I make a mistake, I'm so stubborn that I don't want to go and admit that I was wrong. I don't want to go in and to apologize and, and to seek for forgiveness. But then on the flip side of that, when it comes to my growth, I say, but I can do it all myself. Instead, we flip-flop those two things. We need to grow up and own our mistakes. When I make a mistake, I can't blame anybody else but myself. But when I'm in the midst of growth, I'm never meant to do that alone. We abdicate responsibility and we try to own our growth. Instead, we should accept responsibility. And we should share the battle for growth right now. In fact, that's why we exist as a church is to spur one another, the Bible says, to love and to good works, to push each other to have some sort of forward progress in this life. And so that's why when we see two verses, I don't know if you're paying attention, but in, in what we just read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 5 and verse 2 almost seem to contradict each other. In fact, look at these up here. We see in verse 2 it says, bear one another's burdens. But then in verse 5 it says, each one will have to bear his own load. If you just look at those two verses outside of their context, you look at those and say, wait a minute, how does verse 2 say we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, but verse 5 says each one is going to bear his own load? But the difference is, is that in verse 4, there's a transition. In verse 4, it's saying at one point in the future, there's going to be an account of what we've done. And at that point, when I'm standing before God, I can't sit there at that moment and say, I know I made some mistakes along the way. I know I didn't grow like I should have, but it's all their fault. It's all my friend's fault. It's all my parents' fault. It's all my church's fault that I didn't grow. At that point, every person is going to be bearing his own load. But before we get there, verse 2 is way earlier in the conversation. That while we're still in the battle, while we're still struggling today, that in the midst of that struggle, the idea is that we're working together. That we see the needs that is here and we say, I want to make sure I'm helping meet and fulfill those needs. That when I see someone who's struggling, when I see a group of people that I love and I want to support, that I'm going to encourage them and challenge them and, and be part of that community. To help us understand, go ahead and leave those verses up there for a second. But to help us to understand, because today I'm going to use an analogy I think that is so appropriate and so fitting. I think it's an analogy we can use often. But I'm using an analogy between our, our spiritual growth and, and, our, and our physical growth that happens in life. So to flesh that out a little bit, imagine for a second there was a guy, and he's not really taking good care of himself his whole life. He's put a lot of stuff in his body that he shouldn't have, uh, meaning he, he ate unhealthy, he was engaged in habits that were just really unhealthy. And so because of that, he's had some premature aging in his life. By the time he hits 55 or 60, he already knows that, man, I've been really unhealthy. The doctors give me a diagnosis that really isn't good. And, and at that point, when the doctor comes and says, there's not a whole lot more that you can do to get healthy. You've waited too long, and, and, and really anything you do at this point right now is, is really not going to amount to much. At that point, when he's sitting there premature aging and saying, I've made all these bad decisions... He can't blame anybody else but himself for the choices he made. He can't look back at that point in verse 5 and say, well, it wasn't my fault. My parents, when I was young, started me on a diet that was really unhealthy, and I just kind of continued that up my whole life. Maybe they did, but at 55 or 60, you won't own up to your mistakes. 
Each one is going to bear his own load. But you take that same guy at 25 or 30, and you put him in a community of people and say, we want to right now do verse 2. Before it gets as bad as verse 5, before we get to the end of the discussion, right now in verse 2, as we're in the battle, we want to make sure that we're bearing each other's burdens. And that as we do that, verse 2 says that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. And by doing that, you're fulfilling the law that Christ has. Jesus came with this law of love. And he says, while we're in the midst of this battle, while we're trying not just to maintain things physically, but while we're trying to grow spiritually, the only way that we have success, at the end we're going to own up for our mistakes, But right now, when it comes to our growth, the only way we grow is to realize this idea that you can't do life alone. A couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to do something we've never done before. I shared the stage with my wife, and and we shared some stories of of people we've known. We had this this marriage series. We shared some stories of people we knew, and, and, and the common denominator in all that is the people who had marked success when it came to their lives and marriage was people who developed a community around them that were spurring them towards things that were healthy and wholesome and that were good. And on the flip side of that, the people who struggled were people who lived for a season maybe in isolation. They didn't have a strong group of people around them and and they got to a point where they got to be 30, 35 years old and they said, I don't really have a lot of friends right now and I feel like I'm in this battle alone And, and because of that, I start to lose the battle. We abdicate responsibility, but we try to own our growth. And we were never meant to do life alone. And so Paul writing to the church says, here's what we're supposed to do. We're each supposed to bear each other's burdens. What that means is that there's going to be days that you're really strong. And there's going to be days that you struggle. In those days that you're really strong, oftentimes just the way God works it out is is that as we're strong, the people who we're doing life with, they're going through difficult seasons. And we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. They're not supposed to do that alone. And so even though life is busy for all of us, we're supposed to care about them and, and love them and call them up and say, hey, let's go out and have some coffee and talk about this. I mean, is there a way that physically I can help you in the battle that you're in right now? We need to have people like that. Because then when we're weak and we think, I can't do it alone, my arms are really tired. They're going to be the ones calling us up at just the right time and saying, hey, how are you doing? And first, because whenever anybody asks us how we're doing, our answer is always, man, I'm good. They'll say, okay, but how are you really doing? I have a friend of mine in my life right now that he does that all the time. We go out for walks on a frequent basis. And he always begins by saying, hey, JJ, how's it going? I'm man, it's good. Walk maybe a quarter mile, and he's like, all right, but now how are things really going? We get past that facade. We need to have those friends in our life. So how do we, how do we get that? Well, I, I want to share a little bit of an analogy, a little bit of a story uh, today. We're, we're supposed to own our mistakes and share in our growth. <clears throat> and I want to share a little bit of a story. See, about a month ago, I didn't know this was coming, but about a month ago, someone got up on social media. There's someone here 
who's, who get, got plugged into a gym over at Habitat Fitness, and, and, and they're actually a trainer over at Habitat. And, and so he started tagging some of us at church on Facebook saying, hey, we have a 21-day detox that's coming up, and I want you to join us for this, this detox. And, and I kind of saw that, and, and a couple of us were challenged. And, and so I started asking, hey, is anybody going to do this? And, and, and Jameson back in the back and his wife Rachel said, yeah, we're going to do it. And, and we're kind of workout partners for the last 21 days. We were up every morning at like 4.15 to hit the gym at 5 o'clock, and, and so we had this 21-day detox that was going on, and, and it was really like, like the people there, they do an incredible job. They're really, really good people, and, and, and I was, was kind of watching this. I was enjoying the benefit. The first day, listen, getting up at 4.15, I hated it. I never got to a spot where I loved it, but by 5.45, as, as, as physically tired as you were, like we felt like this mental alertness, and, and, and I'm like, man, like throughout this whole just 21-day detox of eating healthier and, and, and working out most every day, you just started to f- feel better. Like just in life, you started to feel better. And it was really only on about the 18th or 19th day, I knew kind of where this series was going, and I said, man, there's so many appropriate analogies between what happens when, or what happened when we got into this detox, we started working out together and, and the accountability that was there. And there's so many appropriate analogies between what happens when there's physical health and physical growth taking place, as well as, as spiritual growth. Uh, some of you know Allison Ships, and, and she's a, a trainer over at Habitat. She was the one that challenged us. And I kind of, I asked her this week, I said, hey, is it okay if I kind of share how this developed? Because I think that in our lives, there's so much personal growth that can take place spiritually if we apply some of the same things that I was learning or, or more like relearning as we did this 21-day detox. So four things, if you're taking notes, one, write these things down. Four lessons the gym can teach us about our spiritual growth. Now, how many of you have ever been in a season where you went to the gym? How many of you went to the gym for a little bit and said, I got out of that season real quick? <laughs> like, like that happens, like we, we do that. Uh, and, and so like sometimes we relearn the same lessons but here's how what, what I saw, what I encountered uh, through this 21-day process uh, kind of fits so well into today as we talk about personal growth spiritually and, and getting plugged into a community of people that we call a group to spur each other towards growth. Four things. Number one is this. The church slash gym isn't full of hypocrites. It's full of unhealthy people trying to get healthy. I want us to see this because this is really important. Some of you have heard this excuse before. You invite a friend to come to church, and they say, I'm not going to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Uh, if, if you've invited anybody to church, you've probably at some point uh, heard that discussion being had. And I understand why they say that. Because we are full of people who say, hey, here's how we should live. But we don't always live that way ourselves. And so it sounds a whole lot like like a hypocrite because we say, hey, here's what we should be going for and here's what we're teaching, but but we fail to always live up to that standard. We get that. But here's the thing that I discovered is I went to the gym a couple weeks ago and I was nervous the first time walking in because this is different than just going to a, a large box gym. This is where you actually have a trainer and you're all working out together and there's a group of about 30 or 40 of you that are doing this. And I thought by walking into this group of people that was working out that everyone else is going to be really, really fit. And they're all used to doing these workouts, and I'm going to come in, and this workout's very different, and, and, and I'm going to look really, really out of place. 
And then I got there and I looked and I said, man, there's a whole lot of people that look a whole lot more like me than they look like Allison. There's a whole lot of people. Now, Allison's a trainer. She's been doing this for a long time. But there's a lot of people saying, I'm not there yet. But I know about a place where I'm going to get closer to being there. I'm not healthy yet. But I know I'm going to come to a spot where I'm going to get more healthy. In reality, I had a discussion one time with when I was a youth pastor. There was girls coming to youth group, and, and she got in a fight with some girls. And she said, I'm not going to church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And I said, well, it depends on your definition of a hypocrite. If, it, if a hypocrite is someone who teaches one thing when, when they are doing something else, yeah, I can see that. But, but if a hypocrite is a person who admits, like, I'm broken and this is a place I can come to get fixed, then to me that isn't hypocrisy. It's not hypocrisy to be the fat guy in the gym. It's hypocrisy to say, I know I should be getting better and I'm not going to try. Well, the same thing comes to our spiritual growth. The church isn't full of hypocrites per se. It's full of people saying, I know that I'm not where I need to be, and this is the place I can come where I can start to get fed, I can start to grow, I can start to put some of those lessons that I'm learning into play in my life. That the more I apply those things, the more I can get to a healthier spot. A couple of years ago, I did a teaching where we had different chairs up on stage, and, and in those three chairs, I said, there, the church should be a, a third full of people who say, I don't even know why I'm at church. I don't believe this stuff. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure why that I'm here, but we said, man, a third of the people should be people we identify as, as seekers. People are saying, man, I'm not sure about all this stuff, but someone invited me, so I'm here, and I'm going to at least explore this teaching about Jesus. The church should be a third full of people who are just beginning the growth process. They say, man, I made a decision to follow Jesus. And now that I made a decision, I'm just kind of learning how church functions, how, how I'm supposed to grow. I'm just learning what it means to take next steps. And then it, the church should be a third full of people who are a little bit more mature. Not that they've ever fully reached maturation here on earth, but that there's some maturity about them. And if we're doing our job as a church, a church is a third full of each of those individuals. Like in the gym, a third full of people who are saying, I don't even know why I'm here. Someone challenged me to be here, and every day this hurts. Like my working out prior to this was walking to and from the fridge. Can I get a witness up in here? Like, like, like that, was, that was it. And there's a third who say, you know, I'm a little bit athletic, and I'm trying to get back in shape. And there's a third that are saying, I've been doing this for a long time, and I really stuck with it. The church isn't full of hypocrites. It's full of unhealthy people trying to get healthy. Number two, for us to grow, we need to be pushed by people healthier than us. For us to grow, we need to be pushed by people who are healthier than us. Allison is one of many trainers that work at Habitat, and for the first two weeks, uh, she, we're getting there at 5 a.m., and she normally wasn't there at 5 a.m., so we didn't see her at all. The third week, she said, I want to make sure at least one day this week that I'm, that I'm there to train you guys. And so Wednesday of this past week, she's there. Listen, it was the best and worst thing that ever happened to us. Because prior to that, prior to that, Allison's out of town. She might be watching on Facebook Live right now. She said, so Allison, I'm, I'm sorry about this. But, 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 but prior to this, uh, for the most part, being the, the kind of the new people in the class, they, don't, they, they push you, but they don't really always know your name. And there's a bunch of people there, and so they kind of let you slide. On Wednesday, Allison wasn't letting us slide. There's a point we're doing this isometric workout where you have to do three different sets of three different workouts, and the last one that we're doing, we're, we're doing curls, and, and the third set, whatever it was that you're doing, you're not doing the curls anymore, you're not doing the presses anymore, but you're doing the same thing, but then you're stopping and holding it for 40 seconds. 
And the curls were the one thing I thought I was doing really well. Like, we're going to learn later on that sometimes when the trainer walks by, you try to show, your, show off a little bit more and, and all that stuff. You don't want to fail at that point. But, but, but I thought I was doing the curls well. She came by one time and said, JJ, that's perfect. Well, I'm holding the curls like this. And by the end of the, like, we're 30 seconds in. Like, for everybody there, even the people who are fit, like, their hands are starting to shake at that point. And I'm holding it, I'm like, uh, and, and, and right then, Allison's walking by, we had 10 seconds left, I'm like, I'm not going to stop, I'm going to hold this thing out, and I'm holding it, my arms are starting to shake, and then she walks over and she's like, JJ, just, just turn it a little bit, like an eighth of an inch this way, and just that little bit, like as soon as she did it, I was like, oh my goodness, my arms are going to fall off, and she's like, you feel that burn? I said, yeah, it's like, that's how it's supposed to feel. <laughs> We're supposed to be pushed by people that are healthier than us. And we're supposed to open ourselves up to that. Listen, it's hard when it's physical. It's even harder when it's spiritual. See, when people who are spiritual, over in verse 1, it said, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I'm not sure Allison was doing it in gentleness. I'm not sure about that one yet. But, but, but we're supposed to, in a spirit of gentleness, restore them and, and help them and push them. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to open ourselves up to that, that if we're going to grow, we have to be pushed by people who are more healthy than us. Number three, growth usually hurts before it helps. If you've worked out at all, you want to have those gains. But the day after you work out and the day after that, the pain that comes with it, you're like, why am I doing this? If you work out legs for the first time, the next day you go to sit down, and even sitting down hurts. You're like, it shouldn't hurt to sit down. But the pain is a sign of growth that is coming. The same thing is true when, when we start to grow spiritually. I can't tell you the number of people who I've seen over the course of the last 20 years that they gave their lives to Jesus and, and, and for a brief minute of their life, everything seemed to come together and they're like, man, this is so great. I feel this joy. I'm excited about what Jesus is doing. But there's the enemy that starts to attack, and, and the growth that kind of came, the feeling that came went away, and, and all of a sudden things started to get rough. And their response is to say this, man, I thought following Jesus meant everything was going to be better. And instead, all I see in my life is a bunch of complications because of this. Jesus never promises the road afterwards is going to be easy. In fact, sometimes he says the very opposite. But the pain that is here now will last just for a season. But it's a sign of the growth that is coming. That the pain in our muscles as we grow is the muscle fibers that are tearing so that more muscle can replace it. The same thing happens to us spiritually. And so, because of that, growth usually hurts before it helps. And the final one is this. I can't blame the church or gym if I haven't taken full use of its resources. I can't blame the church or gym if I haven't taken full use of its resources when it comes to gym, that's easy to understand because I could have a membership at a gym for 17 years, and I could never go. Maybe I go to the gym once a month just to show up and tell everybody, hey, I'm still here. But I could be a member at a gym for 17 years, and I don't work out, I don't eat healthy. And then people look at me at 17 years saying, man, you've been going to such and such a gym for 17 years, and you're not in shape. Why is that? I can't, after 17 years, blame the gym if I've only shown up once a month and I've never been healthy, eating healthy my whole life. 
or even I show up to the gym once a week, but I continue to eat the things that I shouldn't eat. Listen, I've been guilty of this before where I show up once a week and I start working out. And I work out arms one week and I work out legs and actually there's no growth that's happening. The gym has at its disposal a variety of resources to help you grow. And if I don't take advantage of those resources, if I just kind of do my thing and say I'm going to pick and choose the things that I want, there's not going to be growth. And the same thing is true of our spiritual growth. We're going to talk today about resources. We're going to talk about, man, here's, if we want to take next steps as individuals within the church, then what does that next step look like? Because at the end of the day, I can't blame the church if I haven't taken full use of its resources. I can't blame the church for my lack of growth. So what does that look like on our end? Every church is responsible to have a system to say, what does it look like for for us to grow? If someone comes into Rich Point Church, what does growth look like? Well, the first thing we often try to do, this is separate from our growth pattern, but, but the first thing we try to do is to share, hey, here's the overall vision of Ridgepoint Church. And we do that through what Chris talked about, Discover RPC, that happens in a couple of weeks. It's an informal meeting for anybody who's new to Ridgepoint Church to say, hey, I want to come out and find out. I want to ask questions. I want to meet the staff. I want to meet some key leaders. But then once people decide, yes, I'm in, and we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but yes, I'm, I'm fully in, then we say, okay, here's the system we have in place. Obviously, the first step for us is to be regularly involved in our Sunday morning environments for, for church, for kids area, to say, I want to make sure that this is a regular part of being involved. This is the beginning step, but that there's a regular consistency to my church attendance. Number two, and maybe the most important thing, we're going to talk about this a whole lot more in just a second, but maybe the most important step to my spiritual growth is number two, RPC groups. The single greatest indicator of how we're growing is the people we're doing life with. RPC groups, I'll get to that in just a second. Number three for us to have an approach to growth is to say, okay, I have church on on Sunday morning. I have groups on one night during the week, but but I have to do something myself throughout the week. Again, if I go to gym once or twice a week, I'm not going to get really healthy if I continue to do all the things I used to do. So to say I have to take account of of my life, I have to take responsibility, I have to have people spur me towards that, but for me to grow, there has to be personal growth myself. And the fourth thing which we'll focus on next week is uh, serving as an MVP, saying that I want to be a part of not just being fed myself, but allowing other people to grow as well. But today, we're talking about that second one about RPC groups, RPC system of discipleship and growth centers on groups. Now, historically, what that has meant is, is what we're going to refer to from now on, because we're making a change this, this season. We're having a little bit of change. Today, we're focusing on one side of it. Uh, historically, we've just had something. We've kind of gone back and forth between branding it as, as, as a family group and as, as an RPC group. But let me explain a little bit of what that looks like. There are groups of people that will start uh, sharing with you how you can sign up. There are groups of people within the church they get together on a weekly basis, and they talk through. They normally eat a meal together, and they show a video, and they talk through, hey, how are you doing in life, and how does this video uh, kind of uh, communicate to where you're at in life? And, and it's really a chance to spur each other towards love and to good works. I've had a chance to be a, cu- a part of a couple of different groups the last few years. And, and, and amazingly, what happens is that over a short amount of time, those people become really good friends. They become the people that you're doing life with. And so we love that, and that's always going to be the main drive because we believe for us, RPC's system of growth and discipleship 
centers on people getting plugged into a, a family group. So what we're doing now, the slight change that we're bringing, is that we're having, well, from now on, it's kind of the overarching idea is RPC groups. RPC group encompasses all the different forms of groups. Right now, there's two different forms of groups. The first form is what we've talked about is family groups. Family groups is where we meet together to, to discuss the Bible, to talk about growth, to watch videos, to eat together. And, and again, most of those family groups meet on a weekly basis. And, and for us, that is the primary way. If someone says, what's RPC system of discipleship? We say, this is it. This is just our, our historical group. This is our traditional group. This is what we've done. The second side of that, what we're talking about now is we're, going, we're introducing this new is we're going to start and we're kind of just beginning to flesh this out, what this is going to look like. Some of these we've already been doing organically, but we're also going to have life groups. So if a family group is people meeting in people's homes, discussing the Bible and spiritual growth together, a life group is anything else that gathers together outside of that traditional group. That might mean a class. We hope in the very near future to offer uh, Financial Peace University. Financial Peace University would be an example of a life group. It's, it's an open group, whereas your family group, you normally meet together for uh, a period of time together. Sometimes you agree to we're going to meet for a couple of weeks or a couple months, but most times those family groups stay together for a while. A life group might say, we're only going to be together for eight weeks for this class. It might mean something we've done in the past, like a service area, like in the future, life group might be the Habitat for Humanity Build might fall into the category of life group. Or even in the past, we did things like Fight Club or Fight Club Pink. They'd fall in the category of a life group. One of the things we're working on right now that we're really excited about is we want to have a church softball team. It's a chance for people to do life together outside of traditional family group, a chance for us just to do life together. And so that would fall under the kind of the heading of being a life group. So the goal is to have these two different, not in competition with each other, it's not choosing one or the other, because if we're going to defer to one, it's, man, the family group is the basic building block of growth at Ridgepoint Church. If someone's brand new saying, hey, how do I get to know people? I normally begin by saying, be a church consistently is pretty important, but just as important as joining a group, because it's there where you get to, we talk all the time about it. it's, it's, we love the church environment, but we learn a whole lot better in circles, looking at each other eyeball to eyeball and asking questions than we do in rows. And so our goal is to get as many people plugged in to group as possible. But to offer a second alternative, you know, whether it's someone who says, I don't normally go to church, but a church softball team signed me up. Or whether, we've seen it before where people went to Financial Peace University and through that they, they encountered Jesus because of a class that was offered. So to be able to offer both of those because we believe that if we function well as a church, we go back to Galatians chapter 1 that says, you who are spiritual, and the person that is spiritual is not necessarily the person that's gone to Ridgepoint Church for 17 years. Because for some people, they go to church for 17 years, and there's not really a lot of growth that took place. And there's some people who have been here for six months and have shown tremendous growth. Spirituality isn't just indicative of the amount of years we spend doing something but the heart we put into making sure that we do it right. And our goal at Ridgepoint Church is to allow as many people to take those next steps as possible. And for a lot of us, Chris is going to come up in just a second and talk about what that looks like in a group setting. For a lot of us, the next step is saying, how do I get plugged into groups this coming semester? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you first and foremost for the grace that you show us in life. 
God, we don't even deserve the life that you've given us. Everything that we experience now is the mercy that you've shown us and not giving us what we deserve. And the grace that you've shown us in giving us way more than we deserve. So God, we thank you for the two sides of that same coin of mercy and grace. God, we thank you for the idea that those of us who are believers have the, the spirit living inside of us that, that guides us towards those right things, guides us toward those right relationships. God, I pray that as, as people just get ready, I know we're in a busy season, summer's wrapping up, and, and there's a lot of stuff that's, that, that's going on that's occupying our attention. God, we're getting ready for the school year and school clothes shopping, and, and there's all these things that are competing for, for our dollar, competing for our attention, competing for the, the, the time that we have, the fragile time that we have. So God, I pray in the midst of all of that, we say the first and most important thing is, is our spiritual growth. The faith legacy that we pass on to our children to say, God, that our relationship with you is of the utmost importance. And God, the only way that we fully develop that, the biggest thing we can do is to take ownership of the mistakes that we've made. But God, also lock arms with people that we're doing life with. Not to try to own our growth ourselves, but to share that growth. To spur one another towards love and to good works. To say, God, we want to do our best for you. And the best way that we can do that is by finding people to share life with, they're going to push us towards that which is healthy, not that which is unhealthy. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.